All right, and welcome to yet another podcast episode of The Dice Are Screaming. Oh. Or Yodeling. Whatever <laughs> that was. I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And we're here to talk your ears off about game stuff. Oh, and we will totally do that, too. Like the whole ear. Yeah. We'll talk all of the ear completely off. From the guys who can talk the hind legs off a centaur. Yes. While it's kicking. Oh. Yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah, it's Reform Friday again. Which, again, lighthearted. Not going to give the topic away just yet. Uh, The title has done that for us. There's no need for me to follow through. Uh, But... I, I like it. It's a good topic. It's game-related. And we're just going to kick back and bit, bat this one around like a like an amused cat. Mm. I like that. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Yeah, we... Uh, right now, as you can probably hear, hopefully it's uh, a little muted on your side. We have a little bit of a thunder shower going on, so uh, you might hear some of Thor's fury overhead. But also the soothing sounds of rain. <laughs> Here on WQLD, the lewd. Yeah, 92.7 QLD. Mellow talk all the time. Yeah, I'm going to quaff this entire container of quaaludes while we talk. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it is a laid-back atmosphere. Here, yeah, so. so forgive us if we're not, like, all frenetic and crazy. No, well, but we are crazy, but... Uh, yeah, well, uh, no more than usual in any case. Uh, right, so, well, we got a little bit of a good show topic. Uh, we have a call-in from Jason, I believe, yes. so we're going to turn it right over to you, Jason. Hey, great episode, Jason here. Just want to, I don't know if everybody got to hear the Warhammer 40K review twice in a row or it just happened to my podcatcher, but um, it was good enough that I didn't mind. And I was in the car and couldn't reach my phone and was trapped and <sighs> the horror the horror. Nah, it's all good. Anyway, great overview of the system. Great overview of 40k. Really enjoyed it. I never played much 40k really. I was always more of a Warhammer Fantasy guy and especially a Warhammer Quest guy. I've spent hundreds of dollars to amass the complete Warhammer Quest board game collection. I've got everything. And I really love that game. I still think that's the premier dungeon crawl uh, board game. But thank you so much. Talk to you later. All right. Thanks a lot for that, Jason. Sorry. Uh, yeah, that episode did kind of glitch and put two of the main topics in the queue. So I fixed it. Thanks for letting me know. Oh. The horror. The horror. Yes, you were trapped in a car listening to us just oh, ramble what? on. <laughs> I'm, I'm so oh, sorry. Dude, nobody should be forced to suffer no, through that. that. No. You, you poor, poor man. You need counseling. But it's nice to hear from you just the same. Yeah, um, RPG Nerds Variety Cast is yeah. a good podcast. I just started listening to it, so good job, Jason, and thanks a lot again for giving us your thoughts. Yeah, we we are kind of, I don't know, I have this love-hate relationship with Warhammer 40k right now uh, going on myself. I'm kind of struggling with it, but, uh, you know, one of my big things when I was in the Marine Corps and it came out, you know, I got to play, you know, they made these hard asses called Space Marines. And, you know, I was a Marine, so, yeah, that was fun. And now, looking back on it, yeah, you know, it is what it is. Oh, um, yeah, but, you know, 
the outsized influence that Warhammer uh, and Games Workshop have had on gaming overall totally makes them, you know, memorable. Uh, There's something to be commemorated and looked at uh, with a certain amount of respect to oh, yeah. whether we like a particular aspect or not. Uh, they, they have had this profound impact on gaming itself. So yeah. totally worthy of examination here at The Dice Are Screaming. Right, and uh, just as a little nod off onto that, yeah, Warhammer Quest, that board game is really oh, awesome. Yeah. That's that's I agree with you that, yeah, I, I kind of, I'm a dungeon man myself, the dungeon board game, but uh, yeah, Warhammer Quest is freaking awesome. So, you know, <laughs> it had so much nice little things put into it that it made it a real good experience. It had a lot more bells and whistles than yeah, traditional did. dungeon, which, it look, not dissing traditional dungeon. Okay, uh, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, this disclaimer. I'm so walking no, it back. You know, I love Dungeon because, you know, yeah. happy memories. But Warhammer Quest was a great board game outing. It's well worth it. Right on. So, uh, yeah, keep the uh, call-ins coming, folks. Uh, we'll just uh, do a little uh, shout-out here to uh, the Wheeler Woe folks. They're doing great over there, as well as the Hideous Laughter podcast. <laughs> yeah, and uh, also... Uh, Lyrian, uh, Tales from the Middle of Nowhere, or Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. Oh, not to mention Unguarded Treasure. Yeah, and Deeper Sentinels, and Follow Me or Die, from Larry Hamilton. And let us not forget Stately Gothridge Manor. Mm, Indeed. Uh, But, now, it's a proud moment. It is a proud moment? Yes. We get to turn this over and pay the bills. Oh, yes. Yes. I'm I'm not sad about that at all. Yeah, we're going to turn it over to some paying the bills, doing that uh, advertisement thing. Because we're not actually kidding. We do love Anchor Podcasting. It is oh, just, there's Thor's wrath. You know, I'm not being facetious when I say that it is an incredibly approachable uh, outlet for podcasting. And honestly, I thought it would be a lot tougher to do this than it turned out to be. So, you know, kudos, Anchor. Yeah. Uh, not to like, not to supplant the commercial entirely, but uh, no, it, well, you know what? It I say it because I mean it. All right, so we'll be right back after these messages. Stick around. Okay, and we're back. So thanks for sticking around and uh, coming at you here. A little bit of lightning and thunder. So you're going to hear Thor striking down some giants dead in Jotunheim. Apparently, him. He's on his- Thor. Boy, I'm so Thor I can hardly piss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been wearing that joke out <laughs> since you first heard it. That it have been like 15 years I've been beating that one up. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So, what's our topic tonight? Well, it's Freeform Friday, so we're just going to kick this around like you said. Um, Tonight we're going to talk about wish fulfillment in fantasy gaming. And uh, wish fulfillment, we're not talking about the wish spell here. Although... Honestly, I feel like that would make a great episode in itself because the adjudication of a wish is a tough thing for a DM to parse out. Right, and there we so, go. So uh, that would be good, but you know, we're we're, we're not going to deviate too far, even though it's Freeform Friday. You're just going to put that in the back burner and go. Well, let's let's remember that for. Uh, yeah, we'll have yeah, to talk yeah. about that sometime. These episodes basically write themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. What we're talking about is wish fulfillment from the perspective of. When people create their characters, and it doesn't have to strictly be in a fantasy game format, you can do this in superhero, which is also a wish fulfillment, or the uh, spy genre, um, or any genre really that uh, is out there. Maybe horror, a little less, but uh, 
yeah, fantasy gaming is going to be primarily our focus. So if you know you have any ideas, let us know after oh, yeah. we're done in the uh, on the comments. But uh, let's get on with it. So wish fulfillment. What are we really talking about here? Well, when you create a character, you invest yourself a certain part of a fantasy heroic persona, somebody who you know does things the right way and doesn't really fail, but Failure is a part of the RPG game experience. You want to have a character that is successful, so you want to get high stats, you want to have lots of hit points, and of course you want to have good items that allow you to do more fantastic stuff. Yeah, the, the essentials are that people come to the table with varying intentions. Uh, not everybody comes with a long-term goal that they've envisioned for their character, but many do. And so as you begin to design a campaign, uh, wish fulfillment does not mean the character gets everything that they could possibly want. Right. Uh, that, that is not it at all. But that the design of your campaign and game probably should incorporate some respect for what is the player trying to get out of this. What did they come to the table to play for? Uh, do they have a scope, a vision, an idea of where things are going to end up? How can you make that a part of your narrative and ultimately stitch together a combination where you're not really giving things away, per se, with no risk, uh, but helping facilitate that goal? That the player has set for themselves. How can you be a facilitator of that and still respect the game, the mechanics of the game, and so on? Uh, stitching those two things together may be difficult. So, you know, I think it's a really interesting topic here. Yeah, and one of the things is that, that having backgrounds and having that session zero, as well as understanding the needs of your players in creating these stories, that sometimes develop organically in a, in a sandbox campaign or a more open format versus a series of modules or an adventure path. When you have an adventure path, um, it pretty much spells out where this is going to start and maybe how it's going to end. And there's a lot of in-between. So in that in-between, the, when the player creates a character and they envision maybe from the start that their character wants to be a king wants to rule a land by their own hand. Ah, in the classic Conan-esque sense, you know, a usurper who has risen to great power through their own deeds. See, that's a classic narrative. Oh, with an authentic rumble of thunder to accentuate it. Yes. Yes, another cool. giant dead in Jotunheim. Keep up the good work, Thor. Um, nonetheless, uh, Oh, man, it is picking up out here. Hopefully you guys can hear some of this. It's kind of nice. Um, yeah, uh, you have encounters and struggles where the player will fail. So what happens then? The player dies, and so his dreams die with him, so he creates another character with the same exact goals. Well, yeah, we can kind of brush up against some of that in our previous podcast where we've talked about failure as a mechanic to success. Uh, you know, that is part of the fun of the game. Yeah, if you are running a campaign, and the campaign itself is wish-fulfillment heavy, its principal goals are for the players to fulfill a long-standing plot, 
uh, that you guys have worked out. Failure does not have to mean death. There are ways to work around it. Uh, I personally don't think that death should be off the table. No. Uh, you know, I, I think that in a good dramatic moment, uh, death is a noble thing in gaming. Uh, I've, I've made that clear in a couple of other episodes in the past on mm -hmm. death in gaming and things like that. Uh, but in a wish-fulfillment-based campaign, planning those workarounds early, those setbacks, probably a good investment of time. Um, you know, again, there's no shame in drafting another character. Uh, but for those who feel like that's not a road they want to go down, I, I don't see any harm. I don't see any right uh, in loss of gaming potential in terms of fun. In order to have the wish fulfillment kind of come about, you know, giving away things, uh, it can be looked at as a Monty Hallism. You want to avoid having characters just get it with no way of, or no great risk to themselves. Good point. I, this is a thing that uh, I, I do harp on from time to time. Uh, I have no intimidation factor whatsoever about doling out large treasures, but I like them to be the end product of large efforts. So, you know, scaling reward to effort. Hey, if you beat up a large den full of kobolds, yeah, all right, there's some, you know, money and prizes. What's behind door number three, you know? Oh, why, it's a plus one magic spear. Yeah. You know, An all-paid, expenses-paid trip to Acapulco. You know, <laughs> it's a spear and magic helmet. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, Level-appropriate and challenge-appropriate rewards are great. Uh, but in the role of wish fulfillment, it should not be a vast giveaway. Uh, you just have to start scaling the challenges as appropriate for the level until the players ultimately achieve their goal. Uh, make them work for it. it it's, not, it's not a negative. It's not a loss to, to say this. Uh, but level-appropriate rewards should still be in place, even though you know we're supporting the notion of uh, campaigns that are about fulfilling player goals, there should be equivalent challenges in place that, that make it hard-earned. Uh, nobody gets a tower in the wilderness for their mage and a stack of power uh, without having undergone great trials. Uh, and if they kind of get it all right up front, you know, how much are they really enjoying it? I mean, I, right, you know, it's again that risk versus reward. The greater the reward, the greater the risk, and it should be compensatory to the type of challenge that you want to put out for the player to achieve a certain goal. Like players telling stories, they never go, oh yeah, I found this uh, laying in a dead bugbear's den. Uh, you know, it was one bugbear. You know, this, this, you know, like, incredibly awesome treasure. I'm so proud of this because I found it, like, in one dead bugbear's den. Yeah, in an unguarded no. cave with a dead uh, dragon. You know, if you... On the other hand, I had to fight a boulet swarm for this. Oh. <laughs> boulet swarm. Oh. Uh, I got trampled by the whole herd. No. Uh. I've seen things. <laughs> yeah. Oh. When they discuss having gotten a treasure after an incredibly difficult thing, you know, just my experience speaking, just, just my personal thought, I've seen eyes light up. 
mm-hmm. not in describing the treasure they got, but in describing the ordeal they went through to get it. That is the little magic spot right there. Yeah, and it, it comes with classic mythology. It comes with the background of the game uh, built in, or baked in, if you want to put it more... Uh, and, and to use mar- modern good parlance. Another is, good point, classical mythology. You'll see things where people got a gift from the gods very easily, no fight to get it. But it was a tool to help them achieve a greater goal that they could never have accomplished without that gift. Uh, you know, like boots that allow you to fly. That you know, Or a shield that reflects a Gorgon's gaze. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, you get these, here's your kudo, but you're going to have to go take the risk yourself and be in the lair of, you know, the uh, Medusa and risk being turned to stone in order to pull this off. You've got a tool to help you. Now, those are things you can give away thoughtfully, but the actual enormous risk still has to take place. Right, and one one of the things that's also baked into the, the DNA of the game, if you want to call it this, is that Dungeons & Dragons and a lot of its uh, ascendants have a level-based system. Like, at first through third level, you're not going to face too mind-shattering of encounters. Like, you're not going to face the uh, behemoth, or excuse me, the frog-hemoth uh, blackguard. <laughs> Lord, you are evil. No, I you don't I even know bad. that. Happened. I thought I was bad. Yeah, the uh, abyssal-blooded frog-hemoth blackguard. <laughs> Incorporeal <laughs> ooze pack. Ah! <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're not going to face any of that, but, you know, what could you face? Well, a, you know, at third level, a uh, ogre fighter, well-seasoned and heavily armored, can be uh, just as a potentially great a threat as an enraged black dragon at eighth level. But, uh, yeah, these are things that you can use to up the challenge rating. Uh, and example being that... Uh, yeah, defeating the ogre in one of his... Uh, con- Conquest hanging in his uh, cave is a magical sword of um, legendary power. And that's where I want to break into this. Is I found that legendary items, items that level with the player character or unlock abilities after certain deeds are done, are the best way to help a player with wish fulfillment goals and yet still remain balanced. You can give away a plus two sword that if you slay a creature or do a great deed... It then becomes a plus three sword, or gains a defending ability, or dancing, or whatever. Yeah, perfect. Uh, ideal example in this case being an item in the Pathfinder campaign, Dignity's Barb, the the crossbow that has been, you know, increasing in strength uh, as the levels go by and the great battles uh, come and go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was a really interesting use. It, it's an interesting item. Uh, it started off simple enough with just being plus one, no extra real significant powers. Uh, but hey, once blooded in combat, it proceeded to you know expand in strength, little by little, level by level, and it's still relevant to play. So rather than cluttering the player characters with a ton of treasure, uh, a huge variety of items that they're carting about, uh, having a legendary item eliminates that. They're not constantly swapping out like the 20 pieces of different gear that they have for all occasions, like a Swiss army knife. No, uh, they've got something that grew with them 
so you don't have to dole out as much treasure. Right, but they and do have to seek out more adventure to make it as strong. Right, as it like can be. that uh, sword um, in the ogre's cave that I mentioned on the ogre fighter, who is predacious and violent. Well, is there? I mean, is there another form of ogre that isn't violent? Yeah, well, all right, yeah. yeah those, so. those peace-loving hippie ogres. Oh yeah, yeah, gaming those is, guys. Gaming is famous for those like stoner ogres that just lay around the cave playing Xbox all day. Big Lebowski types, you know. Yeah, whatever, man. That's just like your opinion. You can just take that sword on the wall. Dude, what the what those adventurers did to my rug. I mean, you know that rug pulled the whole room together. It did. It did. I know. It was, it was terrible. Um, but yet, did you, you look a white Russian? No. Um, okay. <laughs> what, you know, where he looks at the sword is too puny for his massive hands because I'm so mighty. You know, goes to the player character and now... Here is, you know, an item that is now in play and helps that player realize it. And I think also the other counterpoint to this is some people have felt, and mostly players of older editions, nothing against that, who have kind of romanticized the idea that, well, back in the day, if you just died, that's it. And, yeah, okay, we have that. But we'll notice that through the years, the evolution of gaming has come around that there are different stages of death. He's mostly dead. <laughs> you know, he's comatose, or he's making his death saves. A, he's only mostly dead. Now, if he was really dead, there's only one thing you can do. Go through his pockets for change. Yep. No. Uh, <laughs> I'm back on the job. Well, no, uh, that's another really good point for this uh, in terms of wish fulfillment. Is there? There is... As an old-school gamer who remembers the earliest incarnations of the game, we do remember when sometimes you bit the dust hard, and so you built characters understanding that that could happen, and you didn't get too attached. And yeah, all right, there's a cultural shift where so many people are gaming now uh, that there's been a little paradigm shift underway where people put more emphasis on the character and the story uh, but gaming has evolved before. I mean, depending on the group you were playing with, uh, the nature of the campaign could be radically different. Uh, you had classic hack-and-bash uh, sudden-death games all the time back then, but you also had campaigns underway in the 70s and 80s where there was an epic narrative going on and a world to explore and a story to tell. Uh, it all existed at the same time, and it has mostly to do with what I see as a difference in people's personal experiences. If you weren't at one of those tables doing a long campaign with a story behind it, then that didn't exist in your world in 1982. Uh, if you were at one of those tables, then that's part of how you see gaming even now. So uh, you're seeing this conflict between the, the camps that I, I don't really think is, is necessary. Both of those things absolutely existed then and still exist now. And I don't really favor one over the other. I'm, I mean, I'm happy when the dice hit the table. Yeah, and, you know, becoming too attached to a character kind of is, well, that's the way that you played back then. You didn't want to die. You had high hopes. You had uh, ideas where it would go. But sometimes fate intervened, and so you would have to, you know... Mull about and come up with a new character and a new idea and a <laughs> Two goal. Two dead illusionists later, yeah. Olaf of the Axe was born. Exactly, that's where we're going. So, yeah. 
I remember. I remember it. I was. I'm not saying I got a. I didn't get a lot of time to get very fond of my first two AD and D characters. Uh, they they made it to third and fourth level respectfully, uh, and I was disappointed by their loss. But I was determined to go on, and character number three, I went fighter with a vengeance, and it worked out much better. I, I had a higher survival rate. Yeah, and, we, and we've covered the saga of Olaf of the Axe. So what's your new character, Mike? He's a fighter. Just a fighter, not a ranger, not a paladin. No, he's got a big axe and a bad attitude. Oh. And he's oh. got a couple of small axes just to throw at people for when they're far enough away that the big axe can't hit them. Yeah, that that that's my character. <laughs> yep, you had enough forethought to have a distance weapon, because sometimes they're out of reach. But, you know, high strength, high constitution, and you're ready to, you know... Dump stat at everything else. But you go face first into the saw blade. <laughs> so... Oh, but... No, wish fulfillment... Uh, some I, Yeah, they could... It's, it's not a... Diminishment of gaming per se. No, it's as, it's as not uh, bad to help cater to your players' stories and ideas. Of course, you know players are just as much participants in your game world from a DM standpoint as the DM is. But their role is kind of suborned to the fact that you know things may not work out like they want. But it is important to understand that, like going back to those uh, earlier episodes where we talked about session zero. Then you can create encounters and challenges tailor-made to not only make their backstory count, but also bring out some of their desires. And let's face it, fantasy gaming is escapism. It's pure and simple. And as I mentioned at the start of this, where we were talking about there were different genres. Some wish fulfillment is uh, comes from the superhero game uh, genre, which is a little less popular... Uh, then I think it should be, considering the impact of the Marvel movies and uh, comic books these days. Fair enough. But let's... I want to just dial that to a, a moment on the superhero genre of how to, you know, you enable wish fulfillment right into the game. They they got it right right off the bat. You start with a very powerful character. You could be a Superman-type character, a Paragon, who's invulnerable, flies, and has massive strength. Yeah, and how you, do you challenge that? And yet you're with a guy like... Batman. You know, well, what does Batman get to do? Well, he gets to dodge a lot of stuff. Well, okay, granted, you know, Batman probably is really good at avoiding danger. But, you know, he can't really affect the villain. Well, you know, he has to think more. Okay, you know, that character is up to that challenge. But the person who's playing Superman shouldn't feel like, oh, well, you know, I can just do everything by myself. You have to present them a challenge that they all have to bring their powers together. Now, Superman... Yes, we know legendarily, it should be known by everybody on the planet, that kryptonite is his bane. Yeah. But there are other ways to challenge him. Boy, and that stuff is just everywhere, because it seems like everybody's got their paws on it. Sure. <laughs> and, yeah, more to the point, it, it comes out when it's needed in, in the comic book stories. And in a game situation, you know, it should only come up when the need to really challenge him comes there. Uh, and, you know, for, for the record, my... My uh, preferred choice as a DM in a superhero-based campaign is to select a weakness that is not a rare outer space mineral that inexplicably everybody has. Pick something a little more utilitarian and available. Not, well, not, sure. Not everywhere, like 
you know, uh, any steel girder will accidentally kill you. <laughs> no. Uh, but... Picked invulnerability yeah. to steel? Yeah, I got 50 extra build points for that. Oh. Yeah. Oh, uh, how do you think I got that super flying? Yeah. <laughs> vulnerability to air. No, oh. uh, not good. <laughs> ah! Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, maybe something like a poorly cultured breed, you know. <laughs> oh! Ew. Uh, yeah. No. Um, that having been said... Uh, balances everything once again. Sure, but giving Superman things to do, like saving people. You know, the big bad villain is there just trashing the place. You know, maybe it's a giant intelligent robot built by Brainiac, and he's just running amok. And he topples a building over Superman, and there's like, you know, 100 people trapped up in the upper uh, stories that couldn't get out, and now Superman has to save them. So he can't just bash it out. So this gives Batman and The Flash and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern more time to shine a little bit. Besides him just taking yeah. all the damage. You and can... also, he has to kind of, to use a WoW term here, World of Warcraft, he has to aggro this because he's the only one who can take this face up. Uh, yeah, he can take the brunt of the terrifying damage uh, and also be nerfed by the moral dilemma of having to save lives that nobody else can save. Uh, this is an excellent way to allow the character to have the wish fulfillment of being an incredibly powerful being, uh, but then lay upon them the onus of responsibility that comes with all of that power. Like, nobody else can keep that building from toppling. You've got to get up there and hold that. The other characters will hold down the fort. Right, maybe the Flash or Green Lantern comes up to help, you know, save them. As well. And this, you know, again, now puts the onus in the fight on Batman and Wonder Woman having to sit out there. Well, thanks a lot. You know, but, uh, hey, as we talked about the specifics of one uh, genre, I wanted to bring it out that that is how you balance the wish fulfillment. They give you everything at first, and then now you have to play in this world. Well, this world is built with many dangers and fraught with perils that obviously if Superman's in the game, there's going to be composite dangers that he has to face, and that player has to make choices playing that character that fulfill their idea that they started. He wanted to be, you know, if you just take Superman as somebody's player character idea, you know, I want to do right, I want to protect people from things that they can't fight themselves, and I want to be a symbol of hope. Well, you know, this is how you do it. And this is the backwards approach at D&D, where you started as pretty much, you know, the... The obscurity is like, oh, you're all murder hobos, and you're starting at first level. You, you know, you got, you know, maybe a, a broken wooden shield and leather armor and a club. You know, okay. You got a guy who's strong and a guy who's sneaky, and a. And, and then a, you a, figure it out through a character funnel. Okay, that's dungeon crawl classics. But at the same time, you start at a base level. Maybe you have a cavalier or a paladin with, you know, a mount and a good suit of armor and a weapon. And maybe you have a more humble fighter who just has a few selection of weapons and the basic armor that they could afford. I do want to mention something, you know, the mirror effect, I call it. Uh, oh, okay. Which, in superhero gaming, uh, the mirror effect would be Black Adam or uh, Bizarro. Yeah, you know, okay. You, you take the hero and you create their perfect opposite number. Uh, this is a way to challenge a super character... Right out of the gate. Green Lantern, uh, Sinestro. Exactly. This is a classic superheroism trope, uh, and it can be used to allow the character to have the wish fulfillment to playing the super character, and yet 
make them face an opponent that is worthy of their skills. You know, there's no reason you have to hold back when you've given them such enormous power. Uh, so, you know, it doesn't rule out wish fulfillment. It do wish fulfillment does not have to ruin the gaming potential at all. You can have both. This is a cake and eat it to Yep, moment. and that's why we wanted to talk about the superhero. I, I guess we're going to revisit that. I would just want to uh, yeah. end it up with one more thing. Sure. Okay, let's take Wolverine. All Logan. Right. Okay, a very well-loved character. But, you know, uh, a savage fighter of just, you know, he doesn't stop. He always gets back up. Not the strongest guy, but he regenerates so inhumanly fast that no wound really affects him for long. He can be taken out of a fight, but then there's this other guy called Magneto. <laughs> and he has in his hand skeleton, or Wolverine does. And Magneto has the power of magnetism. And if you have metal bones, you're just very, nullified. He has a very magnetic personality. He does. And he can just stop you. And that is the ultimate of the superhero game. And I think sometimes you run into walls with that. And that's kind of where I wanted to end up. But getting back to the, uh, the analogy of where I was kind of dig a little bit, where we can end this up, is you have characters that start out, even if you have like a cavalier or knight-type character that starts with a you know, a mount and a good selection of weapons yeah, and armor. good solid equipment. Versus the fighter that just starts out with whatever he can afford or is at hand. And the adventure, after several adventures, there's still going to be some discrepancy in their equipment just because of the status of being a knight or cavalier allows them higher access to better crafted weapons and things like that. And the expectation that they have to do that. They can't just like, well, here's a plus two sh uh, set of scale mail. Or here's, you know, this masterwork set of full plate. Well, what is the Cavalier going to have to take? Oh, yeah, the uh, uh, old-school classic Cavalier dilemma. Where he has to have the best armor that he can possibly afford. Well, and of the most complicated and formal panoply available. Right. Which means Panoply, the, thank you. Yes. <laughs> the, uh, the masterwork plate. That's for you, Larian. Yes, panoply. Word of the day, ding! Ding! Uh, We'd be remiss if we didn't have word of the day. Oh, <laughs> oh we remissed again. No, uh, that that is an excellent point. That yeah, there are some burdens that can be placed on characters who have an advantage. Right. They they may come into the game with an advantage that is wish fulfilling related. Where like I want to play a noble knight who starts off with this extra stuff. There are burdens just like with superheroes that yep. can be placed upon that, and that brings us right back to that point yeah it's a, it's background it's also role-playing it doesn't have to be part of the system but you know the dm can point out to the cavalier like hey that plus two set of scale may look pretty fancy in the on your character sheet in the armor class department but you're gonna have to go with that finely crafted suit of exquisite plate mail uh in Principle because when you walk into town, that looks more like the regalia of a noble knight. It, it just looks like what you should be wearing. And people's perception of you is very important when you have a social status combined with a character class. You, you have an obligation to present yourself in such a dignified fashion. And the costs and expenses of that are part of the burden that comes with those bonuses. Right, and we also talked about like if you had a player who wanted to rule by his own hand, 
And maybe he had the expectation that all of the Pite corrupt emperor and take over his kingdom and lead it into a new golden age of prosperity and wealth. Well, maybe what the campaign called out is you find a keep that's been abandoned and now inhabited by a ruthless group of hobgoblins. Very militant and organized, and they've been doing their own repairs to it. And you have to clear it out and find in the underkeep there is a bunch of fiendish undead, and so those have to be cleared out. But now you have it cleared out, and it's yours. There's your keep. Um, maybe it's not what they expected. You might say you've earned your keep. Exactly, oh, Doctor. Yeah, uh, dad Yeah, we dad joked it. Mm-hmm. But a good one. But there you go. That's a good example of, in an open campaign, you still have the parameters set to where they got a keep. Now it's up to them to make that happen. And you fulfilled the basic expectation of the player, but maybe it didn't turn out exactly like they thought. Like, geez, I thought I would have a keep or a large kingdom teeming with merchants and people that I could rule. Well, all right, all right, um... Uh, you could still out, bring that in. Let me let me throw out an idea there. You know, you build that as a launching pad. You know, right? The acquisition that's the a keep, launching pad. Exactly, it becomes good... the arc one of the story. You you've achieved a, a keep in a defensible position. Uh, say, for instance, it's in a contested borderland, and you've got to decide which kingdom you want to ultimately try to take over and which kingdom you want to join. And you become a principal player in a you know battle of politics where the decisions that get made uh, will impact where you go from there. Which, which is the better king to leave in place if your long-term goal is to oppose one? And yeah. if you oppose openly early on, you will be destroyed. And so now you have to build alliances. Right. Uh, you have to foment uh, you know, a state of a dis, uh, enchantment with one of the current rulers. Uh, without being pinned down alone as the sole source of the problem. And once you've reached that position where you can act with strength, then and only then can you strike out against one of those two empires or one of those two kingdoms and claim one as your own. Yeah, and you know the player can say, geez, I didn't know there was going to be this much talking. I just expected I would stride right up and just slay him on his throne. Ah, yeah. Yeah, good luck with that. You know, at, at, that's a case where wish fulfillment aside, uh, I believe firmly in a whole series of dead player characters. Yep. That, you know, uh, man, every time I try to get into that castle, they just film me pull the crossbow bolts from a nice safe distance. <laughs> well, that should be your lesson warning right there. You're going to have to get more subtle. I'm creating a sorceress who's dragon-blooded, who has uh, three dragon eggs that she's going to hatch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that didn't end well, did it? Uh, no, nope. not always. But anyway, well, thanks to this, uh, the neighbor's dog here giving us his two cents on our podcast. I hope that hasn't been too annoying. Yeah, we have a lot of animal enthusiasts for this show. Yeah, we do. We do. And, Cats uh, and dogs love us. They're apparently, like just, the uh, neighbors have left them out during a storm. Poor thing. No, he does that all the time anyway. Uh, he true. has a hidey hole uh, pen oh, to he go does? into. He's, he's got a safe place. However... Uh, Something out there is obviously irritating him. Probably us. But we, and speaking of irritating, we probably irritated your eardrums far too long, so we're going to wrap it up here. So thanks a lot for uh, listening in and uh, our two cents on, 
wish fulfillment. You know, uh, yes, you can kill player characters, and of course you can also at the same time present them with challenges that will threaten them, but make it so that it's graded into things that not only they can handle, but sometimes they have to think their way out of. They just can't out-combat it. Yeah, So I, I really wish I could come down firmly uh, for once. There are some subjects every once in a while where... There's an oppositional relationship that is really clear where I can add, take a really stern stance. I'm absolutely opposed to this. This is not one of those. This is one of those uh, middle ground territories where your responsibility is really shaping the circumstances. Uh, you know, kind of measure where things are at going into a campaign and decide which zone you want to be in. Because I, I don't think either of them are illegitimate. Either the. Right. I love a hack and slash campaign where, you know, death is waiting around the corner and uh, traps are notoriously fatal, and I I like those too. I I can't bring myself to dislike it. But I also, having had a lot of time in the DM saddle, have a great affection for building a narrative, for building a story, mm-hmm. and having a long arc of of plot that you know is unfolding in a very precise manner over a period of months um, and wish fulfillment can be an important part of that it, it has been for me right. a number it is of part of the escapist nature of the fantasy gaming genre or any gaming genre i mean even if you're playing a spy like uh so i was just talking to mike before we started i was reading rereading moonraker uh, through an audiobook and uh you know, okay, so I'm not going to get into the politics of Ian Fleming's writing, but I'm going to get into that. You know, there is a wish fulfillment in James Bond. You know, he always gets the girl, he always finds a way out. But it's not just so easy. It's just not It's not presented to him on a plate. He has to think, and oftentimes he has to sacrifice and work. And I think that's important in wish fulfillment, just like in reading any escapism, fiction, fantasy, even as a superhero comic. Almost all your characters that you enjoy and love work for their what their advantages are given or to achieve their goal. They have to uh, tr- go through trial and tribulation to achieve it. Yeah, I, if I had to sum it up in a single phrase, it would be keep the challenge alive. No right. matter what style of play you like, keep the challenge alive. And I think that's a good point for us to leave off on. So right. again, if you have any questions, comments, and concerns, and you probably have many concerns. Oh, you should be. Uh-huh, oh yeah. my goodness! And we're going to try not to leave two uh, taps of this on, so you know you won't be trapped in your car, unable to get to your phone, you know, <laughs> and have to listen to us twice. So again, apologies, Jason, you poor man. And uh, of course, you can get a, co- a hold of us on our Facebook group, uh, The Dice Are Screaming. You can, of course, use the Inker app to leave a mess- us a nice message or a mean one if you feel like it. And, of course, you can get a hold of us on Twitter, at uh, me at Deathhand Gaming. That's D-E-T-H-A-N-D Gaming. Myself at MagiVox, M-A-G-I-V-O-X. And get a hold of us there and let us know, because I'm usually on Twitter or have access to it quick. So you can shoot me a line there, and just uh, we can ramble it back and forth. But either way, we're going to bid you a good night, and may, may the, the dice, dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya. Thank you.